Hello and good evening, and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes, and Refugees, and their multicultural mess and secular scam. Thank you so much for joining me today again. I hope you're having a great day wherever you are and you're getting ready for the weekend. Well, um, the lights are back on, and uh, it is great to have it, but it was really cold not having the lights, the electricity the whole day. But here we are. I'm happy to be back uh, in, in heat and warmth, <laughs> which is a luxury. Uh, but anyway, uh, thank you for your time and your and your joining my podcast, your support of my podcast. So let's get down to it. Uh, we are on the um, topic, basically, of the violence during Ram Navmi. Okay, one of the uh, complaints is that uh, Hindus, uh, the procession for Ram Navmi was in Muslim areas. Now there is no such thing as Muslim areas. Okay, nothing in the constitution gives an area to a Muslim or a Hindu. Life belongs to everyone, the cosmos belongs to everyone, the earth belongs to everyone, and the country or the Republic of India belongs to everyone. So if you can sell your goods and services in the open market, people can come into any area in the, on the country. They can walk on any street. It's a public street. There is no such thing as a Muslim area. But all over the world, they have these Muslim areas. And if you go to an Islamic country, the whole country is an Islamic country. Uh, so why do they have these Muslim areas? Well, it actually comes from the surah, from the um, Sira al-Rasul, where the first uh, Islamic uh, area was formed um, in Medina, okay, and they talk about Medina Kiriyasat. Uh, well, that's a hogwash because you can read it, and it was actually um, orchestrated, this sort of, uh, you know, um, containment, uh, an area, a, a zoned off area during a time of a pandemic. When Islam was found, there was a founded, there were pandemics raging in the Middle East because we had just had a huge, huge volcanic eruption, the 536 AD volcanic eruption. They don't know where it was, but we know that uh, empires fell in the Indian subcontinent, China, uh, Europe, um, in in the Americas, there were the Mayan civilization. All of these civilizations came tumbling down uh, because of economics. The the volcanic um, the volcanic eruption caused an and a global winter, a, a volcanic winter where ash clouds reached the skies and um, and, and mingled with the, the dust with the the clouds, and we had acid rain and. Um, there was no oxygen or light coming through. The, the ash cloud was so great, there was no oxygen or light coming through. So the crops did not grow. We had volcanic winters. It took about two decades to get over it completely, but the damage was already done. And because of that, there was plague everywhere. There were pandemics. And this was 53680. That did not uh, stop. Uh, the after effects of it did not stop, um, you know, just after the volcanic event. But went off for a very long time. The Middle East was also very affected um, and the pandemics were raging on the ground. And the Levant being a very difficult area, a junction of life, uh, a junction of uh, 
a confluence of couple, uh, three continents, people passed up and down, and when they passed, they bought their disease and their, and their uh, ideologies, uh, ideologies uh, with them, sorry, ideologies. Um, they bought their, um, their um, you know, their, their ailments with them, and they spread it all about the place, and so the population, the local population, would be affected as a result of which they had confinement areas, very much like in... Um, in um uh, in covid you had these red zones and green zones and the red zones where people would stay they would confine themselves and they would always wash their hands wash themselves social distancing they followed the rules of the torah uh because it these areas were uh hebrew areas they were people of the book areas ruled by the um the orthodoxy of the Jews. Uh, there was no such thing as Jews during that time, but the Hebrews, or as they were called, people of the book, uh, because people of the book are actually not Christians and, and, and Jews. They are Orthodox Jews. That means um, people who descended from the high priest of, uh, of Zod um, Zodak, was it? Or the first high priest of of the temple in Jerusalem. So they're called people of the book because they are, um, they are the cl clerical clergy class, the orthodox class, and they're high priest. And this class always to protect themselves, just like in the Torah, um, just like in the Sinai Desert, wherever they went, wherever they were disbanded, they formed these cliques, these zones, these, these green zones, and they would confine themselves in, in the zone and they would follow only their, um, you know, secondary state. They would follow their own uh, parallel societies. And this went over all over the world uh, with Islamic invasions and occupations. They form parallel societies everywhere. And these parallel societies have their own regime, own laws. They follow the laws of the Torah. Uh, but now these laws of the Torah became Islamic laws. And if you see Islamic laws of the fiqh, of the jurisprudence, of, uh, of the Quran, they match the laws in, um, in the Hebrew uh, civilization very very clearly and all the ideas come from the hebrew civilization because the people of the book the orthodox class at medina allied with um caliph um, the second caliph of uh, of islam and they formed an alliance and this alliance then became islamic so they married the ideology, they married the, uh, the laws, they married the jurisprudence, and that's how, um, uh, that's how um, Islam gets all this jurisprudence and the fiqh, um, the sharia, all of that comes from Judaism, comes from what we know now as Judaism. While they like to say God gave it to them, Allah gave it to them, Muhammad gave it to them, it's wrong because uh, there was no book written during Muhammad's time. The Quran came 20 years later um, and this was, uh, this, these laws, the fiqh, the jurisprudence, precedes Islam, precedes the Quran, and it was taken from the people of the book, that means the orthodox class of, of uh, the Hebrews. Um, so these parallel societies, these so-called Sharia zones, then uh, sprung up everywhere, 
And if you see, if you go to Afghanistan, you go to the uh, tribal areas of Pakistan, uh, the autonomous areas of Pakistan, they follow this uh, Sharia code and they follow their own um, uh, Khyber Pakhtunwa code. There's a Khyber Pakhtunwa code, which is a very ancient code that matches ancient biblical uh, Torah laws and um, Mishnah laws and um, laws of the Halakha, it matches them very, very clearly. And th- those laws uh, are followed, you know, in conjunction with Sharia laws, which are also derived from uh, Judaic laws. Uh, and they're followed, they're formed in Kaibur Paktanwa, they're followed all over the place. And these zones have become, um, these zones become Muslim areas, Islamic areas. They're called now as Sharia zones. Um, and you can't go there into these zones. You can't go, but they can come into your zone. Now, these zones became bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you realize, these big zones finally break away and caused what we know today as Pakistan and Bangladesh. It started from these Muslim areas. So the moment they have zones and you let them have these zones, what will happen is one day they will become so big, they will just ask for separation, segregation, and they will have another Pakistan, you will have another um, Bangladesh, you will have another uh, direct action day, there will be another Jinnah that will come across and do exactly the same thing if we do not learn from our mistakes. Now, what goes on in these zones, okay? They are, it's very hypocritical. They they insist that they must have a, sh- a Sharia zone, but no one can go into these zones. You can't go to these zones, but they can come into your zones. They can go to everywhere in the country. They can sell their halal everywhere. They can sell their goods and services everywhere, but you cannot do the reverse. This is called hypocrisy. Uh, this, is called, uh, this is called supremacy, and this is called segregation. They talk about liberal being liberal. They talk about... Um, they talk about being cultural and, and secular. They are least secular people. They want to insulate themselves with their parallel economies, parallel societies. You are not able to enter these zones. They create these zones for themselves, multiply. The women in these zones are not treated very well. They're treated like second-class citizens. Now, granted, you might have some who are exceptional, will go out of their way, will go out of these zones, um, but some you will not have that most of them are are slaves to these zones. They are second class citizens. They are not allowed to rise above the status quo. And their only goal is to be subservient to the men. And their only goal is uh, to produce children. So they multiply, multiply, multiply. The zone gets bigger. The zone gets bigger. And then afterwards they separate and segregate and say, oh no, we've been harassed. We've been, we've been uh, abused. Um, Islamophobia, kufr phobia and then they will separate so this is what goes on in islamic zones in muslim zones this also is very clear in um this is the basis for even jews if you go to see orthodox jews or hasidic has hasidim 
uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews, they live in segregated areas. They live in parallel societies. Whether you go to Canada, whether you go to America, New York, uh, Williamsburg, New York. Uh, if you go to England, if you go to uh, anywhere in New Zealand, they all live in isolated communities, segregated communities with their own parallel laws because their idea is to protect their society. It has nothing to do with protecting their society and their culture. The culture is ridiculous and hypo hypocritical. This is a concept that came about in the Middle East because of the geographical and the geological area that it sits on. And uh, to protect themselves from uh, viruses, from pandemics that were raging from that time, they institutionalized this concept, put God in it, they took it all over the world, and now says God told them to have these insulated societies. At the end of the day, there is no commerce in there. Well, the commerce is just local buying and selling. The people, because there are such a high birth rate, you can't have employment for everyone. And that leaves them uh, jobless, just le that leaves them there to commit crime, abuse people, abuse women, um, and go on from there. And the women are obligated to cover themselves. They are, the women are obligated to wear, you know, burqas and hijabs and things like that. And, and be subservient and live in fear all the time. They cannot question, they cannot say anything, they're indoctrinated, and the women are just third-class citizens where their only duty is to produce children. So you see the birth rate in these areas are five, six, seven, and their goal is to, with their birth rate, take over the subcontinent and take over the world. Now, if you go to Jewish... Uh, ultra-Orthodox areas, it's the same thing. The average birth rate is about, what, 10, 12? That's the average birth rate. And because this comes from Islamic ideology, comes from ultra-Orthodox Jews. Um, now, I want you to understand that when it, the Indian subcontinent was occupied by, um, by Islamic invaders, this was all over, this concept, this mentality was all over the Indian subcontinent, all over the subcontinent. The entire subcontinent was a Muslim area and, and the natives, the Hindus, had to live in subservience and in shame with the Muslim areas, and they were dominated by these Islamic uh, mullahs, uh, mafia, the tax collectors, the jizya collectors, and they had to literally live in subservience and in slavery. So they were... Um, they were literally second-class citizens in a land that was ancient and that was land that was theirs where they could move freely. But um, this second-class subservience is actually what happened during this time. Now, I'm going to give you an idea of what happens in the Sharia zones, in these Islamic zones. Um, I bought a book recently called Pray, written by Ayan Hirsi Ali. And I'm going to read you a little bit from that book to give you an idea what happens in the zones and why they were left as is, why they were never cured or treated or disbanded. Um, and I, I read from this book before uh, about the modesty doctrine. I'm going to go back to the book and I'm going to um, unpack it for you a little bit. I'm going to read a paragraph, uh, sort of a chapter, and I'd like you to have an 
ins, uh, an insert of how these zones work, uh, how they treat women in these zones, okay? Uh, hopefully, you will buy the book because it's an ex super book, and it's give here to give you an idea of what the mentality within these Sharia zones and within these uh, Islamic mentality it is and how it overflows into the society in Europe. Uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali is herself an ex-Muslim, and she wrote about this, what goes on in these zones. And so it's important to have another point of view to understand this is what, these are the currents that form our waves. This is what it, um, took place all over India, all over the Indian subcontinent during 1300 years of Islamic rule. And it still goes on today, my friends. It still goes on. It's just that the labels have changed. So they blamed everyone else. But when you've been hurting and traumatized for 1300 years in different parts, depending upon where you are, you, it's not going to stop tomorrow because the currents don't stop. The waves don't stop. It still forms until you undo the baggage, undo the knots, open every junction, make it into an intellectual laboratory, understand what happened, heal, and then move on. Until you do that, until you don't have this conversation, you're really not going to go anywhere. The trauma is going to continue. So the goal here is to understand the situation. We can't do anything about the past, but by learning about the past, you can heal and we can find solutions for the future. So I'm going to go back to Ayana Hersiali's book, Pray, P-R-E-Y, and the chapter is how women's rights were being eroded, okay? And uh, it's page 67. So the changing street, I'm going to read for you. I am, she's talking about herself. I am not the only woman who worries about the hard-won hard won gains women have made in liberal societies, which are being eroded by immigrants from places that do not grant such rights to women. Another is Nicola Frank. A 39-year-old editor and mother living in Oldenburg in, in northwest Germany. When I spoke to Nicola, she was sitting side-by-side uh, side with her husband, Stefan, in their neat living room with their young son playing on the floor. They appeared to me to quintessentially modern, to be quintessentially modern Europeans. The husband sharing uh, in the child's world, supportive of his wife's character, um, Niccolo in a blue sweater and floral shirt, her auburn hair pulled up into a shigan. I asked her what had changed in her life. She, as a young girl, she told me, I never worried about feeling harassed or unsafe in my surroundings. For me, this stated to change in 2015. In recent phenomenon, the women are not safe here during the day. It is a problem all over the world that women are not safe at certain times of night. But here during the daylight, being harassed and receiving disrespectful sh uh, sexual remarks it didn't happen to me before. All German cities I know have changed. Two guys harassed me while I was sitting, while I was visiting Bonn, my hometown this summer. They were very young, certainly under 25, and clearly immigrants. In this situation, I would normally show a clear response, perhaps an even an aggressive one. But I'm with a two-year-old son. I didn't want to provoke them any further. So I gave them my finger. They laughed and moved on to harass other women walking near us. All the men behaving in this way are now in Germany, I asked. Nicola's face being strained, she visibly uncomfortably uh, answering, sadly, no. I have to say, for me, it is a consequence of migration. It is hard to articulate. It's a problem with culture and attitudes 
of Arab women, men and women. Her face seized further, creased further, and she wriggled in her seat, even more uncomfortable. Until a few years ago, I was a real leftist here in Germany. My political view was that we should always be tolerant and respect other cultures. In high school, I worked for anti-racist groups. She rubbed her brow. I didn't dare come forward and talk about these things with my leftist friends. I didn't want to be called a racist. I didn't speak about these things. I have friends who have leftist types and they won't discuss it. For instance, I go to, to-, to a toddler's and parents group here in Olsenburg. And the day I made a remark about very gruesome murder that took place at the end of the Ramadan in May. There was a fight between two men downtown. One Arab and one Kurd. The Arab man suddenly pulled a knife and slit the Kurd's neck and chest. He died on the street. At the playgroup, I remarked, uh, this isn't something that would have happened 10 years ago. And other parents responded that it always happens and isn't a problem caused by migration and culture. They are uneasy about the conversation, so I backed down and ever since avoided the subject of migration and violence in our town. Like her friends, Nicola seemed uncomfortable articulating the migration status of men harassing her. I got the sense she almost wished they were white Germans, so that women could be easier, could, would be easier to discuss. I asked, how has your daily routine changed because of this? Uh, Nicola nodded. Now when I go down shopping downtown, I make detours. I postpone morning walks with my son for an hour to avoid walking in the dark. This This is in winter. So I no longer walk through the big city park. At certain times in the day, I don't buy in some supermarkets in certain neighborhoods. I used to enjoy walking along the canal, but after a pleasant incident, unpleasant incident a few months ago, I stopped going there. What happened? A similar story. Two young Arab men dressed, addressed me in broken German with the words, you can't. It was Sunday morning and I was walking with a stroller and they continued following me for some time. There were joggers, cyclists, and pedestrians around. I wasn't the only woman to endure the treatment. It's obvious that these men are afraid of anything that don't have any respect. And don't have any respect. On another occasion, I was sitting in a bus. It was 9 o'clock in the mo- in a workday. I witnessed the misbehavior of two drunk Arab young men. When they got in off the bus, they were discussing among us passengers and the bus driver, who had not dared to throw them out. Explain that if he had done so, they might file a complaint with his employer for racist behavior. I left the bus with another female passenger. She was trembling as she lit a cigarette and said of the men sat behind her and played with her hair all the time during the drive. Uh, through our conversation, Nicola was matter-of-fact. Uh, she didn't appear angry or volatile. She wasn't railing to close borders. I sat in a sad day. She's simply describing the sudden way her life had changed. Um, so Swedish journalist Pauli- Paulina Newding, who was reporting on Bravely Addressed, the 
the negative social consequences of immigration and explain to me. People are changing their lives here in Sweden. There have been numerous reports of groups assaults of public swimming pools and many of them have had to enjoy employ security guards and bilingual hosts or put up cameras. The biggest swimming pool in Stockholm even introduced different time slots in jacuzzis um, after reports of assaults. But those who are confined... Uh, but those are confined spaces. What what does this do to women's freedom movements in places where there are no hosts or cameras? I used to walk down to the forest or bike with friends to swim in a lake where I grew up in a Stockholm suburb. But would you let a teenage girl go to the lake by herself when swimming pools have to take such drastic measures in response to assaults? In one of her articles, she exposed the naivete of Sweden's authorities, response to the receding presence of women in Stockholm suburb of Rinkby, in that belief that it would encourage women to return to the town square. The local council had painted some benches in pink, intending to reserve it for women's use. The benches had soon been removed after it turned out that only men sat there. The street doesn't feel doesn't belong to you. That's how it feels. I don't feel free. Women's complaints about an increase in sexual harassment are not confined to Germ- Germany and Sweden. In 2017, the La Chapelle Pajol district of Paris became a contested no-go zone when a petition titled Women, a Threatened Species in the Heart of Paris received 20,000 signatures following an influx of immigrants from Calais Jungle. De Calais Jungle. Local women reported that the La Calais Pajol had been transformed in in the space of just one year. Speaking to French newspaper Le Parisien, 38-year-old Aurelie said she no longer recognized the neighborhood she had lived in for 15 years. The simple act of traveling became problematic. The cafe down my home, a once nice bistro, had turned into an all-male haunt. It was packed. I get my share of remarks when I pass by, especially since they drink a lot. A few days ago, more... Uh, the mere fact of going to my window triggered a flood of insults and I had to lock myself in the apartment. Some time ago, I took the Boulevard La Chapelle from Stalingrad even late at night. It was unthinkable today. The feeling that women are no longer safe uh, on some Parisian streets have, was captured on film by Aziza Saya and Nadia Remadna, the founder of the Brigade des Mères an organization that works with mothers to prevent radicalization of children. Using a hidden camera, the two women recorded an exchange in the Seine-Saint-Denis, a migrant-heavy suburb northeast of Paris. The streets and cafes were completely devoid of women. On entering a cafe, the two women were asked why they had entered. And here it is. In the bar of men... They are, not well, they are not very welcoming. It's best to wait outside. Why? Because this is a place for men. We live in a world where there are men and women. Are you crazy? No, you're, no you are. The bartender didn't feel like discussing it. The other men were shocked to see women. We will be discreet in the corner. This is a place for guys. We are in Severn, not in Paris. Even in Severn, she says... This is France. Severin is France. You are in the 93rd uh, district. So what? You are not in Paris. The mentality is different like back home. 
Indeed, she says, it is like back home. I could not believe that women would be unwelcome in the streets of Paris suburb. The experience sounded so much like mine, but not my experience in Europe. Of my life in Nairobi or Mogadishu decades earlier, the man in the Parisian cafe was right. The 93rd district may physically be in France, but socially it is still in North Africa because of immigrants from North Africa taking over that suburb. So in, in Paris, the districts um, I'm going to explain to you are uh, numbered one, two, three, four. And the 93rd district is one filled with immigrants from North Africa. Parts of Brussels, too, have been earned the reputation of being no-go zones for women. The sidewalk cafes along the streets, Cocoa Bar not far from Molenberg, Molenbeek, aligned with men from Turkey and Morocco, sitting relaxed, chattering to one another. They are unperturbed by traffic and noisy buses going past. But their faces turn puffing on cigarettes and sipping tea as women strides past. A number of them smirk, all eyes trained on female pedestrians. In the ne- in nearby parks, young African men play soccer and occasional women, Muslim women, wailed in black from head to toe, hurry along cobblestone sidewalks carrying groceries. A few headscarf-wearing mothers walk by young children. Otherwise, for the most part, women are conspicuous by their absence. Um, so this, my dear friends, is what I'm trying to explain to you. The absolute um, second class or third class status of women in the society. They are people meant only to produce children. Their birth rate is high. They cannot do anything else but produce children. Now, yes, they work. They, they teach in schools. They have jobs. Absolutely. Some rise above the status quo. Some join the society. Some rise to high positions in society. Some leave the fall, but most of the people will live there and they are second class citizens. They cannot, they cannot challenge anything. They have to live within the Sharia laws. They, are a, they form their own parallel society and one day they will ask for segregation and a new country. That is what it is. Um, so there are, the bottom line is these people then not able to call, have uh, employment because they produce so many children so fast. Employment doesn't come from the skies, guys. It takes nine months to produce children, but it takes a generation to produce jobs and you can't produce jobs so fast which is the problem we are having in india um and this is exactly what is the reason behind it um and these zones are allowed to take place and they instigate women they provoke women they provoke anyone who anyone who comes in this area because it's their area they have colonized it and when you say anything to them they say you provoke me you're causing the problems i uh, we are the peaceful people and y'all are the ones causing the problem translation get off my land i've colonized it it's now my land it will be mine forever and you're just um you know what you're you're, you're just a kufar uh you have no business in my land so the modern way of 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 saying kufar is what najas um Islamophobe, but basically that's the long and short of the story. Now, why does this happen? There is no shortage of people who want to deny the reality of what is happening in Europe and even in India. But it is also true that it is politically inconvenient for most governments to acknowledge the existence of this particular crisis. Um, police 
uh, whistleblowers admit that the rising volumes of homicide and violent crimes have drawn resources away from from investigating these areas, and it's like I said, politically inconvenient to do this. Um, so that, my dear friends, are the long and short of the story. There was something else that I I wanted to bring to you. Um, uh, but I, I really can't find it right now. Um, I'm going to just look for it. And I, it was a superb uh, part of the book that existed here. And I wanted to say it to you. So here it is. Uh, the, the case of left-wing political parties that have seen their traditional working-class voter base erode over the decades, uh, their white working-class voter base erode over the decades, turned to immigrants as a new source of votes. To earn the political goodwill of this class, left-wing political parties brush off issues such as sexual violence and gender discrimination in immigrant communities. Once upon a time, these parties stood for the emancipation of women, for gay rights and equality. Now they are in bed with Islamists who seek exemptions from these core values under religious grounds. Their political partnership is not operative, is now operative to varying degrees in France, Belgium, Sweden, Germany, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, and yes, my friends, the United States and America. In Stockholm, notorious immigrant enclaves of Rinkeby and Tensta, for example, social democrats campaign vigorously giving out free food and playing Arabic music. True, not all of this is cynical electoral calculation. Radical socialists in Germany identified the migrant crisis as an opportunity to deal a blow to capitalism and enthusiastically adopted refugee rights as an instrument in their project of universal liberation. Indeed, some have embraced the idea of open borders as almost a revolutionary project. The consequence of living in a state of denial is that almost everyone loses. Governments that feared populist parties would benefit if they openly discussed their problems have found that this is exactly what happens when they shut down debate. Populists across Europe have prospered precisely because they alone have been willing to violate the taboo. Center-left parties have embraced the idea that growing number of Muslim immigrants are the new uh, proliterate have lost the trust of their traditional voters. In elections across the Europe, as we shall see, they have paid the price for their opportunism at the ballot box. At all levels, then, trust these citizens and governing institutions have been eroded. Citizens can see the authorities have lost control of the borders and in some cities, in some cities of some streets. The apparent breakdown in the rule of law adds to the trust deficit. Um, the consequence of division and fragmentation. Perhaps nowhere are the consequences uh, corrosive consequences of denial more obvious than in the modern feminist movement. Yes, my friends, the conspiracy of silence. The silence, the racism and the Islamophobia are, are conspiracies to make you a hostage to, the, to their guilt, to their moral uh, blackmail of rape, crimes against humanity, considered and ordered from God to subjugate the kufr to, to their masters, to their master, to their slavery and their imperialism. Colonial hangover and a long and short of the story. So that, my dear friends, is what Muslim areas are, Sharia zones or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's, it's a problem. It should not exist. 
people are moving away. There's an exodus happening, but there are a lot of people in there still, and the political parties are allowing this to happen, and they are the root cause of the problem. And the and the mullahs and the and the mosque inside these areas who are brainwashing and instigating these people uh, are are. Are the basis of all all things that go, going wrong. So the people are not. I don't blame the people because this is what they indoctrinated with. But then why are you allowing the clergy class, the ecosystem, to exist if you know they're keeping on causing problems? You 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 imprison the man, but you don't imp- you you don't take care of the ideology. Their ideology and the and the and the basis of the ideology that are these mosques and these masjids and these um and the madrasas they are causing the problems. The ideology behind them. The mullahs are like uh, imperial masters, and and that's the long and short of the story. So until we don't understand the problem, we will not. Uh, we cannot correct it unless we don't have the conversation. We cannot heal, and that is the most important part. So the book is called Pray. Um, it's from Ian Hersia Lee. I read a few excerpts from that, and it's to explain to you what went on in this on this land on the Indian subcontinent for 1,300 years of Islamic rule. Why we got over it, and why there are still these Muslim areas left, and the Indian National Congress allows them to happen, including the TMC in Bengal. So on that note, I take your leave. I wish you a great day. Uh, Cheers and be safe.